Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Uh, good morning, C4. So glad that you're uh, with us this morning and want to say hi to many of you watching and listening online. Uh, I've got a Bible this morning. We'd love you to turn to the book of Haggai, please. And that's where we're going to be ending our, our mini-series today. And uh, we'd love you to turn to Haggai uh, chapter 2. This is the last week in our mini-series called Promises out of the book of Haggai. And as I've been sharing for the last four weeks, this, uh, this series has been an unusual series uh, found in our church and probably in others because of a few reasons. Number one, first and foremost, usually when you do a series based on the promises of God, the promises of God, you start a series by finding out what they are. Or maybe you have a series celebrating the accomplishment of the community under God's guidance as the promises are fulfilled. But this series is not about beginning and this series is not about the end. This series is about the middle. The whole reason why we felt compelled to do this series as a community was to ask the question, what do you do as a person and what do we do as a community when actually you are walking in what God has commanded you and promised you, yet you've not seen the full fulfillment of it and yet around you, you are starting to see it. It's not uh, only by faith, it is now by faith and sight and yet what has been promised has not been fully accomplished. And so as we look through the scriptures, we came back to the book of Haggai because the book of Haggai is about living godly lives in the middle of promises that have somewhat been fulfilled but not fully. Like I've shared week after week, why Haggai? Because in this little book, God speaks into the middle of his people's journey and he sets people's priorities right again. He reminds people of his faithfulness. He inspires them to keep going and he reminds them them that when he speaks, he will do what he says. And why Haggai and why for C4? Because there in this little book are multiple mini little promises given in that time to God's people, which we as a people in this time need to hear, believe, and claim over C4. See, this series, like I've shared, is a, is a tailor-made series for this season. This series is about what God has already begun to do among us, what we are actually starting to literally see in and among this church, and actually is to inspire inspire us and motivate us and, and, and to empower us to keep going in this move of God. Now, let me start here today. God in Haggai's time had given his people, like I've shared for the last three weeks, only one task. Now, all people who know the living God personally in every generation are called to be faithful. Love, holiness, obeying his word, reflecting the God we know. That is assigned to every generation and every person. But in certain times in holy history, beyond what I'll call normal biblical faithfulness, God comes close and he gives a specific task for that season. And this task, which they had been given, was actually started 90 years earlier under the ministry of Jeremiah. He promised that in, in 70 years from that moment, they would come back to the Holy Land out of Babylon because they'd been taken into exile, and then a greater move would take 
take place. And so we know the story. They came with Ezra first, then Nehemiah, and then they start rebuilding what? The temple. That was the specific thing God had commanded his people to do. And then they stopped working. For 18 to 20 years, they just stopped. And then God sends Haggai and begins to remind them that not only is faithfulness called for, but there is a task connected to faithfulness in that season. And over a four-month period, God keeps coming close through Haggai to give those people multiple mini-promises to accomplish the one task, to experience the greatest promise connected to the task. Why does God give so many promises? Because God did not want his people to give up. God did not want his people to be stuck in the middle. He wanted his people to keep going. Why? Because God wanted them to experience his promise of life, his promise of worship, his promise of peace, his promise of presence. So let me say this again. God, over a short period of months, gave these promises to that group of people and connected it to the task he He'd asked them to do. He said, I must, I command, I invite you to build, to rebuild the temple, because when you rebuild the temple, my glory will come in a greater measure. And then he says, and the nations will show up and meet God. Now, let me remind all of us this morning of all the promises we've heard so far in the last three weeks. God starts the conversation by saying, I am with you. And like we found out, when God says, I'm with you, it's not like he stands in the room and says, well, yeah, yeah, I'm here. No, when God says, I'm with you, it means I will guard you, protect you, empower you, be with you, I'll I'll lead you. Then he said this, I will send my Holy Spirit upon you. My spirit has not left you, and he's coming in greater measure. God says, I will not leave you alone to the task. I will send myself, the third person of the Trinity, and you will be empowered to keep going. Then he said this, you do not need to fear. You do not need to fear the largeness of the task, internal strife, the enemies, resource issues. No, no, no. Do not fear. The next thing that came out of God's mouth was this. I own all the gold and silver and all the hills, and oh, I'm the Lord of all nations, so don't worry about resources. I will provide for this task. We also found out that God showed up and he said, many of you are inside grieving. You are almost living through like a death or divorce because you remember what happened in the old days in the old temple. And God says, the past will not be an idol. Live for today for I'm doing a new thing. And then he said, next, I will bless you. See, God already has been so generous. He's been, like I said last week, the great margin creator. But now at the end of Haggai, God chooses to give a few more promises to inspire, yes, and provide momentum and provide hope and empowerment. But God, when he within himself chooses to speak, this last time through Haggai is unlike the last three holy moments. This one is actually very different. This one is personal. This one comes so very close. This word narrows. It narrows down to one person. Not the priest, not the high priest yet. We'll get to him in a minute. Not all the people. God comes close and he speaks to one person, the leader of the people, the ruler of God's people. So this is the last thing that Haggai says. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Like we found out last week, God shows up on December 24th, 520 BC, our Christmas Eve. God approaches one man, 
Zerubbabel. This is the man that God has chosen for this season and this hour. Like a grand abstract painter, God will not fill in all the details, but he paints like this full sweeping picture of what he is going to do in the life of Zerubbabel, but then he begins to speak beyond Zerubbabel and show Zerubbabel his legacy that will come out of his life. It's like he gives tone and effect, and, and he paints with all these bright colors, this grand move. God uses language like thunderstorm, earthquake, revolution, clashing armies, great victory, civil conflict, peace that's coming, and then begins to reference one Zerubbabel has no clue about. Verse 21 reads like this, listen closely today, church. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Oh, I'll overturn royal thrones and shatter the powers of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his own brother. Now, this word is wider and deeper than Zerubbabel. This is about actually the restoration of all the promises given to David by God. But this is actually a word for Zerubbabel too. There is one who is coming also that's being referenced. So this is truly a word that is for that moment and a word that is about to happen. This is a now and not yet encounter. Now what was God saying to Zerubbabel? God is saying this, please hear this. You don't need to be afraid. I have actually made you the leader in this time. I'm going to provide Zerubbabel all you personally need. You actually have my royal authority. You have my backing. In other words, I, the creator, the uncreated one, I've got your back. You know, the Bible says, pastors quote it all the time, that people perish without vision. Yes. But let us not forget what the Bible also teaches, that throughout the scriptures, God entrusts visions not to groups and not communities, but to the leaders. God always ties vision to leaders. Leaders are the ones that breathe out vision, give vision, implement vision, guard vision, fight for vision, and save vision. If the leader or leaders fail, the whole vision dims, and then the people perish. God understands that everything rests on the shoulder of a leader when God is working. And that is why this second last mini promise is so important. I will shake the heavens and the earth. God says to Zerubbabel, because Haggai does not approach the people, he approaches him. I, God, the Lord of angel armies, I am going to intervene and I will bring all that I have promised And all I will do, it's going to happen, but I'm doing it for you personally, Zerubbabel. I will defeat all of your enemies. Leaders face so many obstacles. Ask anyone who leads. Internal strife, competing agendas, external threat, vision leaking, rebellion, personal doubt, personal and corporate sin, laziness, wondering if God's even going to show up, people following, then not following, then following again. The list goes on and on and on. That's why, by the way, if you talk to leadership theorists, they tell you most leaders quit. And those who choose not to quit, 60 to 80% of them do not end well. They actually leave broken, jaded, wandering, and wondering. Do you see it? God chooses at this moment to deal with the leader's fear so the whole promise isn't lost. 
Fear is the great killer of leaders in every single generation. Fear of mutiny, fear of failure, fear of criticism, fear that the people will not obey the task given to the leader. God knows that the fear of a largeness of the task, fear over resources, fear produced by the fickleness of people, fear connected about stepping out, fear not knowing if people will follow. See, and that's just normal leadership. And then there's inner battles, character, motive, personal value, family upbringing. And then Zerubbabel is even in a tougher spot. See, he's actually surrounded by all sorts of ethnic groups that hate the Jews and are actually threatening to wipe them out. They're lying and slandering. And not only is that happening, he's actually a puppet governor under a pagan king. He's actually the king over a group of refugees. And God says in this moment, at this critical moment, look around, God says, Zerubbabel, watch me conquer your greatest obstacles. Watch your fear die at the hand of me. God's not done. God, it's like it's even closer to this one leader. It's like his breath, his words, his presence come close. I'm sure they touch the very essence and soul of this leader. He says in verse 23, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. God speaks and God says to Zerubbabel, Four words every leader desperately needs to survive. I have chosen you. There is nothing more grounding, there is nothing more important to a leader than the actual ministry calling God gives them. It is the only thing that you actually hold on to in the middle when you lead. When there is nothing else, only God's calling stays. God's calling for any leader is the rock to keep going in the middle. Now let me step back and say on a larger scale, in a larger sense, that any person sitting here in the sound of my voice, any of you watching online, listening online, if any of you are a follower of Jesus, many of you are, we know this is true in everyone's life that are Christians. It is God the Father's own calling that actually grounds us. When God the Father called us to himself, that's what holds us when sin seems stronger, when the world seems like it is falling apart in the seams, when everything is not right, when our faith seems to be collapsing, when we feel almost spiritually we're going off a cliff. God the Father's calling, his declaration, his word over us is the only rock we can go to. His calling is the thing that brought us to Jesus. His calling brings us forgiveness. His call us brings us back to holy and to love. His calling continually moves us from self-sufficiency to self-reliance. My favorite passage in the Bible is Ephesians 1. Here Paul so encapsulates God the Father's call. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, what? chose us in him before the creation of the world. See, that is so important to hear this morning. Again, sin isn't the beginning of the conversation. Before anything was, before creation, before God declared it was good, God decided you would know him. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be both holy and blameless in his sight. No room for guilt, no room for shame. God has overcome it all. 
In love, do you notice this? In love, he predestined, elected, called us to be adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's lavished, uh, given us freely in the one he loves. And he says, and you were included uh, in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the the promised Holy Spirit, uh, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And everyone should say a real loud, amen. It's amazing. See, called, predestined, adopted, included, marked, sealed, redeemed, God's very own possession. All things, do you notice, you cannot do. All things you cannot achieve. All things you cannot work for. All things you cannot earn. There is nothing more powerful, more beautiful, more awe-inspiring, more confronting and comforting, faith-building than when God declares over you, I called you. Now that is true for us salvifically. It is the thing that allows us not to give up. But to a leader in the time of Haggai, God comes so close and says to the leader in that day, I have appointed you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetel. Not the people. The people didn't decide you were the leader. No, no. King Darius didn't decide. The priest didn't decide. I decided you would be the leader in the now. And let me say more, my son. Let me say this over you. Let me say this and sing this and declare this over you. Not only have I called you, you will be like my signet ring. What an amazing statement to the king of nothing refugees. Do you know what a signet ring is? It's the grand ring that all kings would sign all documents with. They would take clay or wax, and on all official laws, right, they'd take the ring, the grand final symbol of authority, and they would stamp their mark and say, I have declared it so. And so God, the uncreated one, comes to this so-called governor and says, I have decided you, you who are made out of, <laughs> like, you're made of nothing. I, <laughs> you're made of dust. But you, I've decided to give you my authority. Authority has been given to you. I give you the task and the right to lead people in this day. You didn't do it because of personality. It's not because of your background or education. I have given you this task, this right, this responsibility. I have declared this over you. And no one can take this from you in this season. Let me say it again. Hear this, please. God knows if a leader falls the whole movement stops. God knows if leadership fails, personally, the whole people of God are broken. Read history. Whole nations, whole movements rise and fall. They move forward or backward on the life of leaders. Leaders, most of the time, are either the door openers or the door closers. They are the ceiling breakers or they are the ceiling. They are the what happens or what will not happen. Their obedience or disobedience, their faith or fear determines what will truly happen among the people of God. And God very clearly places leaders in our lives to lead. But God knows that the burden of leadership is far too much to do. And so he declares promises personally for the leader. God says, Zerubbabel, you are the one I've chosen. Now again, let me say this. Zerubbabel in his day was nothing. Governor was honorary at best. 
No throne, no crown, no empire, no Darius, no Solomon, no David. He has nothing to claim, no bank account, nothing to hold on to. And yet, in that short season, God decides to make him the steward. God makes him the given leader. The one that only, would not only accomplish the rebuilding of the temple, which we're still talking about, think about this, thousands of years later, but he would be the one that passes the baton to the next generation, to those who follow God. Oh, but there's more. You see, God understands that all the leaders need to be met. I shared with you last week that God was so concerned about this critical moment that not only did he send Haggai, but probably two to four weeks earlier, another prophet starts preaching right in the exact same spot as Haggai. His name is Zechariah. God sends Haggai to meet with Zerubbabel, but as we've learned in this series, there's another critical leader named Joshua the high priest. And so God, in the same time period, now sends, are you ready, Zechariah to meet with Joshua. Just flip over, if you can, to Zechariah. It's the next book. Chapter 3. Electronic, just do your thing. Zechariah 3.1. God speaks personally now to Joshua. Verse 1, it reads like this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Ready? Oh, and Satan standing at the right side to accuse him. And the Lord, so God says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Verse 8. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, you are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, this is a title, a name, the branch, And see the stone I've set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. So God not only comes to Zerubbabel, he also comes to Zerubbabel's partner, Joshua, and he affirms, supports, cleans, and calls him. Now what's really wild is this. Joshua is literally being accused by the head of the kingdom of darkness, and God steps in and says, no, you may not. See, he knew that Joshua needed this support too. Why? Because the whole move of God is at risk at this moment. Zerubbabel sees all the physical enemies. Joshua sees the spiritual enemies. That is capital R reality. It is a bad situation. And God says, don't worry, I've got this. But there's more. See, you should begin to feel this. There's something more afoot in these two encounters. There's something spilling from the now into the not yet. There is a grander move, a a bigger declaration. The heavens are almost looking up and paying attention. I'm sure the angels turned to Yahweh and said, have you begun it? Is it now? For you are saying things we've been waiting for. See, Zerubbabel and Joshua's leadership time was short at best. Read all scholars and not only scholars, just read the scriptures And you'd have to say, well, what's the full meaning of what's going on here? Because it seems that God is affirming these leaders in their day. But there's this branch thing and this rock thing and there's there's this, what's going on? Well, see, this is about the ultimate move of God. 
This is about the ultimate signet ring that is coming. This is the one that will have full and final authority. See, these leaders are pictures. These leaders, they were real historic people, but they were foreshadows of the ultimate coming of reality. They are preparing the world. Let me say that again. Yes, they are actually preparing the world for the greatest one to come. The one that would have the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, his name is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, they are preparing the world for him. You say, well, John, that's very preachy of you, but where's the connection? No problem. You know, when we gather together on Christmas Eve, how interesting. On December 24th, billions of people hear the word of God read, sung, chanted, sung, said. And it's interesting when you read Matthew chapter 1, as the beginning of the Christmas story unfolds, what you find Matthew, tw- Matthew 1 reads like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jehoiakim was the father of who? Oshetel. And Shetel was the father of o- Zerubbabel. Hold on, you're telling me Zerubbabel's like the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus? Oh, yes, I am. And not only that, Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. See, Zerubbabel actually is by his lineage preparing the world for the ultimate signet ring to come. And not only is he by biology preparing the world for this, it's deeper than that. See, the description given to Zerubbabel actually is fulfilled fully in Jesus. See, Jesus is God the Father's signet ring forever. A signet ring is the full and final authority and action of a king. And is that not exactly how Jesus is described in the New Testament? What are the last words of Jesus as he ascends into heaven? Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? Me. How does Paul describe him in Philippians 2, 9? Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Another amen moment. See, not just Zerubbabel, Joshua. Joshua prepares the world too. For the eternal son of God. We know that the name Joshua in Hebrew is where we get the Greek name Jesus from. Which means Savior and Lord. 520 years before Jesus came on our Christmas Eve. It's not the original one. But on our Christmas Eve. We are told that God will be doing this new thing. Then during Zachariah's discussion. There's this call of this branch that will come. And he will remove the sin of the land in what? One day. What are we about to celebrate in the next three weeks? We are going to celebrate Good Friday and Easter. Why? Because on Good Friday, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he removed all sin from that land and all lands in one day, one moment, one glorious moment, in all spaces and times, one act, dealt with every form of darkness. And like a sponge, Jesus soaked up all the garbage of the land, and it was done. See, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Haggai, the ultimate fulfillment of Zerubbabel, and the ultimate fulfillment of Joshua, because Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. That is why in the book of Haggai, God said that he would shake the nations and their enemies would fall. 
Because truly in the end, Satan's back gets broken, death gets conquered, sin gets expunged and removed, and death is forever walked over, and now the nations get to come back home to the true temple to experience the peace that Haggai promised. That's why we say as Christians, that's why Jesus' best friend penned these words, for God so loved the world. He sent his one and only son. Who's that? The ultimate signet ring, the ultimate savior, That whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Why? Because look at who he is. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, the reason why the signet ring is so important is because it is God's final declaration about everything. Let me just stop before I go to the promises about our church and just ask this morning, I must. Is there anyone among us this morning, or you online, who has not embraced Jesus? See, Jesus is not just a prophet, he's the prophet. He is the great truth teller. Jesus is not just a king, he's the king. Jesus is not just a priest, he's the high priest, because Jesus actually is God in flesh. And if there's no one, if there's anyone this morning who has not said yes to him, like really, yes, I trust you to be the truth teller in my life, the king of my life, and the one who makes me clean before God the Father, then just stop because whether you expect it or not, before any other promises matter, this is what matters. 520 BC happened so you could hear the gospel today. So let's just stop for a moment and bow our heads. Take a moment and just ask. And Holy Spirit, you're here. You're here. You're here online. Is there anyone among us who have not truly encountered God personally through Jesus? Tell them, Lord, now. Speak to them. You love them so much. If that's you and you are like, I must embrace him, just pray this. Lord Jesus Christ, Ultimate signet ring. I need you. On this March morning, I say, yes, I trust in you to not only lead my life, I actually need you to actually take all the sin in my life in one moment right now. I ask you to be Savior and King and Lord and prophet, priest, everything that I need so I can walk in front of God clean. I embrace you now as Savior and Lord. I believe you lived, you physically died, physically rose again, like yes. I now walk under you, no longer me or anything else. Uh, In Jesus' name, uh, amen. I just want to say, because we say to all the services, if you prayed that, right at the end of the service, there will be people here. Come speak to them. It matters so much because you've walked into a new family. C4, as we prepare for the Easter season, but actually beyond the Easter season, as we prepare to do in the next 12 months to 15 months more than we've ever done in our history, as we prepare for the next three years, where should we end this series? And what is God actually saying to us? Now, I'm going to ask everyone, please, for your attention. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm requesting full attention at this moment. Because what I'm about to utter matters for our church. 
Because the Lord is giving us stuff to inspire us to keep going. Here's the first thing I just want to say as we end. Number one, as we look at this series and we look at where we are, I just want to say this. One of our pastors rightly said this week, John, the flood isn't here yet, but it sure is raining around us now. When you look around our church and you see and keep hearing the stories of unbelievable changed lives, when we keep experiencing the unprecedented presence of God among us, when we see financial, spiritually, organizational things we've never seen before, no, the full thing has not happened yet, but it's no longer just by faith. It's by faith and by sight now. So as we prepare to step out, what does God just need to say to us so we can keep obeying, believing, and trusting? Here's the first thing. To you, Zerubbabel, and to you, Joshua, if you are a leader in this church, I'd like you to listen to me, please. God says to some of you, because most of you are not leaders here, but for you who are leaders, I have called you in this season. I will not allow the evil one to have his way with you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. I will not allow the evil one to have his way with you. No matter what people say inside this church or outside for this time, for this task, I'm with you to do this task I've given this church. Do not fear. Do not look back and do not look around. Look up at me. I own this church. Not one of you as leaders owns this church. Never forget, you are only stewards for this moment, for this season, for this task. You never own this church and you never will. But as you obey me, you hold on to the promises I have given you. Renewal has come to many. Revival will grow more and more. And yes, I will pour out awakening in this region. So leaders, here's what God is saying to us. Let your hands be strong in this moment. Strengthen your hands and build the temple of the Lord. My promise for greater presence will happen. The promise I gave you at the beginning that more and more people will love the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lordship of Jesus Christ will grow across this church and be welcomed and celebrated will happen. Keep strong. For one or two leaders, I don't know who you are, Psalm 42.5 is for you this morning. Why is your soul downcast, O leader? Why are you so disturbed within yourself? Put your hope in God, for you yet will praise him, your Savior and your God. Can I speak to the whole church this morning and just say one thing to you? C4, are you even praying for us? And and I know many of you are, but I have to ask this, because whether you believe it or not, leadership is rises and falls, and so do movements based on leaders. Are you praying? Are you literally standing before the uncreated one and saying, God, don't let them fall. God, give them wisdom they don't have. God, here's the critical, don't let fear take them out. God has commissioned this church to do a task in this season that will take so much unnatural courage And I'm telling you, as one of the leaders, we need your support and your prayer so we don't fall. You must fight for us as we fight for you. Because God has given this church a task that is not only un-Canadian, it is impossible if God does not show up. So God says to the leaders in this church, do not fear, I am truly with you. Here's the second thing. As we end this series, so significant. Wrestled with this all week, but yes, I'm going to say it, tested it. See, four, I believe God is saying to us now as a church, I will deal with the greatest threat to you and my move. 
See, for we know that Jesus 2,000 years ago overcame all darkness. We're about to celebrate that in the next few weeks. We affirm, we celebrate, we hold out what St. Paul wrote out of his own personal experience and what he was inspired to say out throughout the generations. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the evil one, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Right? Amen. God says forever that his son has defeated the devil positionally and all his work is broken. But, please hear this. For this church, in this season, and in this region, God speaks and says this. Not us. I want to make this clear. Not us. God speaks and says to all the unseen principalities and powers and rulers and authorities that hold this region, and there are many, to all of you that blind and hold thousands in darkness, to you that assault not just C4, but my whole holy church, for this time, God says to you, no, you will move back. You will give ground. You will give grip over this region, and you will surrender the thousands that I give to my son and that I am calling to myself. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. God says, not me, not this. God is saying in this region to the unseen powers, you must step back because I have decided to bring my kingdom come in this region. God says to the leaders of this church, oh, do not let fear take you. You live a holy life, short accounts, but I am truly with you. He says to our enemies, the greatest threat beyond anyone else in this room, I am going to deal with you and I have dealt with you. And then I end this series by simply saying this, see four, be strong because God has given us this task. In Haggai's time, they were called in that season beyond faithfulness to build the temple, which spilled over and touching the world. Their God-given vision was to build that temple and the end promise would be that temple would be rebuilt, his glory would come, the nations would be drawn. And all the many promises given were given to inspire, bolster, build up, and empower so God would be glorified, they would be free so the world could see God clearly. See, four, as within that day now in our day, we have been commissioned and called and invited to continue to become a regional church of 10,000 doing this thing called meeting the mental and spiritual and emotional needs of people in the name of Jesus. The glory of this present house will be greater than anything from our past. And God says to us now at the end of March break, before Easter, my people, what you do with your time and what you do with your thoughts and what you do with your money is the real test of what you want, what you trust in, and what you believe in. What you actually do with all of that even reflects if you actually believe God has commissioned the leaders of this church and this church to accomplish this. Matthew 6.33 is the thing that bleeds out for all of us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So let me just say, would you stand with me? The band comes up as, we, as we're going to respond, but can I just... Say the promises out of Haggai over our church. See, for God says, I am with you. 
And God says, I'm with you in all that that means. He says that to you personally and us corporately. God says, I will send my Holy Spirit. As we saw in the book of Haggai, not only does he send the Spirit, Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. But even deeper than that, you remember in Haggai, it actually says that the Lord himself stirred up Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people supernaturally to do the work. God says to C4, don't fear. C4, I will provide everything you need for this task. I will provide every resource. God says, I will bless you, C4. Leaders, he says to us this morning, I actually have chosen you. I've given you my backing and authority. God declares for this region, and I hope you are encouraged because it's not a C4 thing. This means that every single church in this region is going to start experiencing freedom because God is removing the power of evil in our region. And not only that, God says these words. I've given you these promises so you will know me and others will know me. That I will be glorified in this time and in this space. That the lordship of Jesus, the true temple that is eternal now, found among us and in him, will continue to grow. God says, see four. Do not fear. You are a bunch of refugees with no real authority or power. But watch me. Watch me as I do something that will shock nations, befuddle families, will not make sense in church culture, but watch me do it. For I am the Lord, and I have decided in this time to do this thing. Praise be to God the Father. Praise be to God the Son. Praise be to God the Holy Spirit, our true and living only God, who has chosen in mercy to meet us and use us in such unbelievable ways. Is his name not worthy to be praised today? Let's worship him together. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.